everybody. Good to see you. It's been a little while since we've been up here, but I've been enjoying a nice break. <laughs> but no, Bob deserves to definitely understand when you're preaching week to week, it's always good to get that, that break. So definitely understand that. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip them open to Romans 10. We'll be there in a few minutes and we'll probably go a couple, couple different places. So how many of you besides me are like fascinated with like the the British royalty and Queen Elizabeth and anybody else fascinated with that stuff? I'm fascinated with that stuff. I've been, you know, even before her death and stuff, I've been, I always have read everything. In fact, I, I really admire her. I think she's probably one of the best, as far as a world figure leader, I think one of the best that I've ever seen uh, for a long time. She's a pretty incredible lady. If you read different things about her life, you really get a sense of her sense of duty to the people. It was never, <coughs> she never made it about her. Um, so, you know, just very thing. And as I was, in fact, too, what I've been trying to do, in fact, last night, I was trying to get Missy to drink some Earl Grey tea. You know, that's one of the things she drank because I want to live to 96 too. So I'm like, Missy, you need to drink some Earl Grey tea with me, but she won't go along with that. So anyway, we're, we'll have some tea and crumpets at the average household here soon. But anyway, um, you know, the, the, just the term sovereignty, um, you know, rule, predominance, preeminence, um, you know, it's been kind of going around in my head over the last little bit. And it kind of goes along with, a, with some thoughts that, that's been on my heart lately um, from, from the Bible. And I guess if you just lay out this way, so think about the two, the two of those words that I just said, predominant. Think about what the meaning of that is. Predominant just means something's important. It's, high, it's ranked high in the, in the in status of something. That's what predominant means. Preeminence means something else. Preeminence means it's first in everything. In every part of your life and everything about you is preeminent in everything. So the, I guess if I was laying out a thought or a thesis for you this morning, it would be that I think the Lord is predominant in a lot of Christians' lives, but I would not say he's preeminent in a lot of Christians' lives. And so that's what I want you to think about this morning as we're going through this. The basic question is, is Jesus really Lord of your life? Now, he may be predominant in your life. You know, I like how, you know, I think it was John or Brandon or somebody put the, uh, the list of priorities and talked about... Uh, you know, you, you, you put the Lord up here and you put everything else down here. That's not how that works. You can say, most of you here could probably say, well, the Lord is predominant in my life. I go to church on Sunday. I might even read my Bible every once in a while. That might make him predominant in your life. But is he preeminent in your life? What about in every facet of your life does Christ rule? Does he have the say-so in every part of your life? And if he doesn't, brothers and sisters, he may be your Savior, but he's really not your Lord. You see. And we want to get into that a little bit as we go. So if you've got your Bibles open in Romans 10, I'm just going to read um, one verse here. And this we could go several different directions, but we'll stick at one. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
Now, what I want you to think about is when we say the name of God or the name of Jesus in its full expression, when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the full expression of his name. What we get there when we say the Lord, and we'll talk about getting into this a little bit more detail. When we say Lord, that is the deity part of him. That is the identification of him with God. When we say Jesus, that is his man, that is his manhood, that is his earthly name, that is his name, the name he's given by Mary. That is his, that explains his manhood. Christ refers to the anointed one or the Messiah, if you will. That was his office, that was his duty he came to fulfill. So and and when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, we pull all of those things together and get the full meaning of who Jesus is. And that's, that's really important. Now there's something you should notice also here in this verse I read. That it said, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Now when you hear that read or when you see that here, that ought to sound strange, a little strange to you. Because really, in mo- what you should notice here, according to this verse, there's a dual requirement for salvation. You have to believe in your heart and you have to confess with your mouth. Now, but the, the, here's where it should kind of ring strange to you. In a lot of other places, there's only a single requirement, which is what? Believe in your heart. You know? Even in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, they gave him the only begotten Son. That what? That whosoever believeth in him, it doesn't say anything about confessing, right? In a, in a lot of other places, it just says, you know, believe in the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Here, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. <laughs> so which is it? Is it a dual requirement? Or is it a single requirement? Now here's where you've got to put your thinking caps on for a minute and go back with me. You can remember I've said this to you before. The word saved has three tenses to it. You've got to think about this. We, in the, we are saved in the, we are, from a past tense. All of you here, if you've been saved, you were saved in the past. You were saved from the penalty of sin. You see You've been saved from the penalty of sin. Christ did that for you when he died on the cross. In the future, you will be saved from the very presence of sin. You know, that's why, that's why I love Mike led us there talking about living in Canaan's land. We're living in Canaan's land now. People always talk about, oh, Canaan's land. I'm going to Canaan's land. They refer to Canaan's land as heaven. Canaan's land is not heaven. When the Jews got to Canaan's land, that wasn't heaven. There was still sin in the land and they had to drive it out. We're living in Canaan's land now. We still live in the presence of sin and we have to drive it out of our lives. So you've got the past tense. You've got the future tense of being that even once we get to heaven, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. But brothers and sisters, while we are here, we can be saved in the present time from the very power of sin. And that's where the confession part comes in, you see. Because Paul's talking to believers here in the book of Romans. If you want to be saved from the very power of sin and have victory and deliverance in your life now, then you better start confessing Jesus as Lord. Amen. 
you see. Paul's not talking about going to heaven here. And too many times when we think about being saved, we're just thinking about heaven, pie in the sky, someday I'll be in heaven by and by. What about now, brothers and sisters? I don't know about you, but I need Jesus now. When trouble comes and when trials come, I need Him now. In good things or bad, I need Him now. Well, if you want Him now, you better start living. And confessing is more than just with your lips, as we'll see here in a minute. You better start living and making Him Lord of your life, you see. So again, Paul's not talking here about this salvation part about going to heaven. Paul's talking about, this was the sermon I preached years ago. Paul's talking about bringing heaven down to us. Getting a little bit of that taste of the up there down here. That yes, when you get the bad doctor's report. Yes, when the storm rolls in. Yes, you still got a little peace in your heart because God's there. Because you can call out to Him. Because He is your Lord. But that comes back to the real question. Is He really your Lord? So again, we need we need that victory. If we want that victory, if we want that in our, if we want that deliverance in our in time in his, in our place in history, we've got, he's got to be Lord of our life today. And you'll hear me say that a thousand times as we go through this the rest of this message. Is he your Lord? I'm not asking you are you saved and going to heaven. Is he your Lord? You see, and that's the question you need to ask. Over in Acts 2.36, it talks about when at the end of Peter's sermon there in the book of Acts. At the end, Peter says basically, hey, this, this Jesus who you crucified, God hath made him both Christ and Lord. In other words, he wasn't just the Messiah. He's the Lord. He was God and man. This Jesus who you crucified, think about who you crucified. This was the very Son of God. Now that word Lord comes from the Greek word curious in the, you know, it's, it goes back in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's, the word for Lord is, or God is Yahweh or Adonai. It, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's, it's curios, which basically it all, it all means Lord, but it's, again, like I said earlier, it's referring to his deity. And it was his deity that got Christ crucified. Back at the end of Matthew chapter 22, Je- you know, the Pharisees were always asking Jesus questions to try to trick him up. He finally asked them a question that shuts them up. He basically is saying to them, you know, if he's talking about David and he's talking about, you know, if the, if the Messiah, the, they were looking for a Messiah, they understood the Messiah. And he says, if the Messiah is basically, he says, if the Messiah is only a man, then why does David also refer to him as his Lord? Because Jesus even asked him, they said, he said, whose son is the Messiah? And they said, the son of David. And he says, well, if it's only David's son, why does David refer to him as Lord? The Bible says they could not answer him. And it was the fact that he was saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Lord. You see. That's what led to his crucifixion. That's why they put, you know, the Son of God. 
This man claims to be the son of God. That's what got him crucified. Basically, you know, bringing all that together, bringing that deity down with his human nature and his position as the as the Messiah, not to deliver them from the from the uh, perils of Rome and all the evils that came with that, but to deliver them from death, hell and the grave. Ultimately, you know, was his main purpose. Scripture tells us, brothers and sisters, blatantly all the way through that Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of all. Lord of everything. The book of Ephesians I preached through a couple years ago teaches us that everything is under Christ. All things are under Him. That means that nothing can be above Him. Romans 14.8, just you can flip the pages over and look at that. It talks about life. It says, whether we live, if we live, we live unto Christ. If we die, we die unto Christ. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So life and death, brothers and sisters, in our life and in our death, everything, we are the Lord's. He is Lord in everything. He's Lord in all. He's got to be confessed, folks, as the supreme ruler as the supreme being, as our sovereignty, as our sovereign ruler. You know, I thought about how people bow and curtsy to the queen or to the king. How many of us take time to really bow during our lives to the Lord? Bow our heads in prayer. Unling ourselves before the Lord. Something like, well, I do it when I go to church. If this is the only time you do it, that's a problem. It's a serious issue. You see, brothers and sisters, if you, if you want, it's not just about being saved and going to heaven. You need him as Lord here and now. If you want him to be able to give you victory and be with you now, you have to confess him as the Lord, just like we, just like we said before. You know, the sad part of that is there's a lot of people, a lot of, I believe, Christian, maybe Christian people who are on their way to heaven but they're going to have to wait until they get there to see or taste any part of it. And the only time you can see or feel a little bit of heaven or a little bit of Christ is not in the church house either, brothers and sisters. Love the message, the last several messages of people. I've said that before all the time. This, brothers and sisters, is a getting ready place. This is a preparation place to go out there. There's a, there's a lot, you know, I used to watch when I was in high school and college, I used to watch a bunch of knuckleheads in the locker room go around acting all big and bad and jumping up and down like they're the greatest thing on the earth. And then they go on the court and they get their tails kicked. The game's not played in the locker room. The game's not played in the church house. It's played out there in your daily life. It doesn't do any good for you to come in here and sing about Jesus as your Lord and go get down on your knees whether you come up here or not and say, oh, Jesus is my Lord and go out there and never acknowledge your brothers and sisters. That is the worst thing you can do and the most hypocritical thing you can do. You need to live it out there. He needs to be preeminent in every part of your life out there or He is not your Lord. You see. You can skin it any way you want to. But we're all hypocrites in some, some degree. And the reason more people don't want anything to do with church or church people is because out there, you know, they say, oh, they go and have their holy little huddle and they act like they're all this and all that. But out here, they're just the same as me. And you know what? They're right. We're not a lot different at all. 
We make the same decisions in the same way that everybody else out there makes them. Because Christ is not preeminent. He's prominent, but he's not preeminent. And that, brothers and sisters, is a problem. We've got to acknowledge him in every part of our life. Confession. When we talk about confession, it means to acknowledge or confirm. You know, if you, if you want God's presence in your life, like I said, you've got to confess it. On the cross, brothers and sisters, He paid for our sins. We're all familiar with the substitutionary death. He took our place on the cross of Calvary. But we sometimes what we forget is that in, our, in His resurrection, He gave us life. Sometimes we don't understand the substitutionary life. You see, brothers and sisters, when I got saved, I was supposed to die unto self, and now I live unto Christ. My life is not supposed to be what Tony Everidge wants to do, where Tony Everidge wants to go, what Tony Everidge wants to say. It's supposed to be about what Christ wants for me. I can say, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that. At the end of the day, or actually every day, I need to put that down at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because I'm yours, you see. It's not all about what I want. It's not all about what you want. If it's all about what you want, then he's not really your Lord, you see. Confession, brothers and sisters, means that with not only with your lips, but with your life, you confess him as Lord. It's easy to say things with your lips. I've heard people say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a runner. I, I do this. I'm in shape. Yeah, watch them run. No, they're not. You can, say you're, you can say anything, but does your life back it up? That's another thing. Like I said, you can, so I'm coming to church. I'm professing. Does your life back it up, you see? You know, Bobby's talking about having the baptism service tonight. Now, we do that in here. I still wish we could do it out there. Because that, people always, I've asked, been asked the question over there, why is baptism important? Is baptism something that I need to do to be saved? No, you don't. But baptism, brothers and sisters, is your first act of obedience in confessing that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And if you go back, so don't sit there and tell me, well, Jesus is my Lord, I've been saved, but eh, I don't really want to get baptized. You're not confessing then. I don't care what, however you may be telling people otherwise, you're not confessing. That is your first requirement. That's the very first thing Christ told you to do after being saved. And if you haven't done it, then you're not confessing. You're not obeying. I don't care what. You haven't even obeyed the first commandment that he gave you after being saved, which was to be baptized. And I want you to think about what you've heard me say this before, what it was like in John the Baptist's time. In John the Baptist's time, all those Pharisees were standing there taking notes. There goes Robert Mills. He's going over there to John to get baptized. He just lost his job. He just lost his land. He's one of them. But Bob was by going there and being baptized, he was identifying with them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people wouldn't do it because they didn't want to be identified with Christ. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of what might happen. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, that's what baptism meant back then. 
It's what it used to mean years ago when we did it, you know, we even, and I'm not saying there's, you know, again, I love that because it's convenient and it's nice, but even when we used to do it in the creek, it wasn't like there was tons of people there taking notes and watching. It was just the church people around, so it really didn't matter. But it, what, however you do it, it's your inauguration, it's you telling the world, Jesus is my Lord. And what that means is, even if you get baptized in here tonight, you walk out into the world tomorrow, and in every, on your job, in your household, with your friends, you acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord, not just with your lips, but the way you act and the way you present yourself. You see, it's got to be all of that, brothers and sisters. That's the first, that's the first act of confession. So don't tell me that baptism is optional. Don't tell me baptism is not important. It's the very first act of confessing that Jesus is Lord. So you need to do it. Failing to confess Him will hinder your ability to be saved and delivered and experience victory here. It'll fail, it'll hinder your ability to be delivered here, to see God here. You know, the Sermon on the Mount refers, says, has a little word in there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, they, well when, when's that? Well, we're all going to see Him when we go to heaven. I don't know about you, but I need to see Him every once in a while here. I've had nut cases tell me, oh, Tony, are you a nut? Are you telling me you've seen him with your eyes? No. But brothers and sisters, through the Spirit, I've gotten a little glimpse of him here. Mm-hmm. And you only do that when your life confesses that he is Lord. And when he really is Lord of your life, you see. You see, the problem is, brothers and sisters, here's the problem. We don't want Jesus to be Lord of our life. We want Him to be our Savior. And we want to go to heaven when we die. But we really don't want Him to be Lord of our life. We do not want Him to call the shots. Day in and day out of our life. That might cause us a little bit of problems. You know, in the book, I think it's in Luke. I can't remember the chapter right now. (laughs) But Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do what I say. You're saying the right things. You're calling me Lord, but you're not doing what I say. That doesn't make sense. If I'm your Lord, shouldn't you do what I say? If I really am your supreme ruler, shouldn't you do what I say? But he says, whenever I ask you to do something, you don't do it. You come back with excuses. Or you come back and tell me how you feel about it. Or you come back and tell me what mom and dad said about it. Or you come back and tell me what they're saying in the media about it. Or you come back and tell me what your church says about it. Or you come back and tell me what your work people say about it. I told you to do this. If I'm your Lord, what he's saying is, go do it and go obey. There's no room for debate. You see. Go do it. But we want to question everything. And that's his question for us is, am I really your Lord? You see, another way to look at it is if you were accused of being a follower of Christ, is there enough evidence to convict you of all the charges? Other than just saying, well, I went to church Sunday. I got got a Bible on the coffee table or by my nightstand. Yeah, but when's the last time you opened it? That's a, you know, again, it's a, a whole lot. Do people... 
know where we stand. Not just in here, but out there. Do people know where we stand? Is there an acknowledgement from people that they, they know that there's like, this was mentioned earlier, do they know there's something a little different about you? You are different. You know, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. That's, that's pretty important. In other words, what he's saying is, but if you confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my father. You know, whenever I read that scripture, I always think about, I always, it always takes me back to Job. When it, right at the beginning of the book of Job, when it talks about you know, how there was the gathering in heaven and you know, the Lord basically saying, has you considered my servant Job? Job was somebody I think we could easily say in whose life confessed that he trusted God. God was confessing him in heaven. Have you looked at Job? Have you seen Job? How he tries his best to do good and eschews evil? Is God confessing you, brothers and sisters? Is Jesus confessing you in heaven right now? Because I'm telling you, if you're denying Him down here, in, not just in this, but in deed, He's not going to be confessing you up there. That makes a lot of blasphemy to some people. But again, we're talking about salvation here and now. Not, etern- not salvation going to heaven someday. The Bible doesn't just say this just to make it ring pretty in your ears. If you do not confess Him before men, if your life is not confessing Him here now, He's not going to be confessing you up there. You see? That sounds harsh, but it's true. And it's Scripture. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I'm so, I'm good enough that you bow to me as a Savior and you want me to take you to heaven, but I'm not good enough for you to acknowledge me in part of your, every part of your life down here? Really? You know, that's one thing, I, like I said, I thought I knew. I thought I knew most of the royal family because I've, you know, I've read about them for years. But, you know, when the queen died and I started reading all this stuff, it seemed like everybody wanted to put their hands up. I'm associated with the queen. I knew the queen. I met the queen. It's like, wow. Everybody wanted to be associated with the queen. Why don't people want to be associated with Christ? Why doesn't our life confess that? You know, why don't we confess Every, every part of our life, why don't people understand and can see that, hey, you know, he's not just making decisions on what's going to make him the most money. He's not choosing who he's going to, who or she, or he or she are not just choosing who they're going to marry based on what all the world does. They're making decisions based on something else. There's something else behind that. And I don't quite understand it. And that something else, brothers and sisters, is Jesus Christ. Calling the shots. You see, the problem is, brothers and sisters, we cannot get self out of the way. We let self call the shots too much. It's what we want to do, how we want to save, where we want to go. And then we wonder why we struggle so much here. Now again, point of clarification with confessing. Love how Brandon said it last week. And you've heard me say the same thing. Doesn't mean hanging 15 pictures of Jesus in your office or in your house. Doesn't mean putting crosses around everything around your neck and arms and shoulders. Doesn't mean telling everybody you meet them as soon as you walk into the workplace. Praise the Lord. How you doing? 
In fact, if I had a nut coming in like that, they'd be out the door. It's not the place for it. You know how you show, you know how you show the world that you're a good Christian in the workplace? Brandon is get there on time. Be the hardest worker in that office. Even if the boss is a daggone jerk and mean to you and totally unreasonable, get there, do your best, do it as under the Lord, and people will say, wow, they're mistreated. They're not even, they're talked about. They're not treated fairly at all. But look how hard they work. Look at what they do. Why do they do that? Must be, maybe, Jesus is their Lord. Maybe there's something bigger behind this than just the paycheck and who the boss is. You see. See, brothers and sisters, we miss the point so many times. And because we don't confess it, we miss victory and deliverance and blessings. And we miss being a witness to a lot of people around us. What I'm talking about is not shying away from the identification. I'm sure there's a lot of... I'm not a very whole, entirely public person at work. But there, I'm sure if you talk to people who hasn't known me for very long, most people are going to say, that Tony Evers is a weird guy. He don't do things like other people. Now, some of it's just because I am weird. Just ask my kids and listen. <laughs> but some of it is because I don't make decisions like everybody else makes decisions. Because whether it's something at work, whether it's something at home, And I've had to make some really tough decisions over the last few years. And brothers and sisters, it's drove me to my knees. Because I've always, before before I ever get up in here, when I walk into the workplace, when people's lives are at stake and their future's at stake, I get on my knees and say, Lord, not to my glory. Not that anybody would ever say, Tony Everidge is a great guy, or Tony Everidge is a great leader, or Tony Everidge is a great boss. Lord, let me do what will honor you. Has always been my desire. And sometimes that decision is not the one that's popular with people. And it's not the one people would expect me to make. But I try to be consistent in what the Lord wants me to do, you see. When we identify with Jesus, brothers and sisters, it qualifies us to call on Him. It qualifies us to call on Him for help. When you look over, I think it's Revelation 12, 11. It talks about when it says that they overcame Him by the blood of, their, of the Lamb and the testimony of their word. In other words, they overcame by Christ's blood on the being shed on the cross and the confession of how they lived. You see, the testimony of their word. We have so little deliverance today because we have so little confession. Our lives just don't confess it. It just don't. It just don't show it. You see, brothers and sisters, you cannot deny him out there and also call on him out there. But that's exactly what we do. We live like it's our life to do with what we want. But as soon as a storm comes, as soon as a bad health report comes, man, we start calling out to the Lord. What about the other times? You know, no offense, Greg, but God's not just a fireman. He's not just a paramedic to come and get you when the house is on fire. In fact, your house might well be on fire. He may not come because you haven't been confessing here. 
doesn't mean he's unmerciful. It means he's true to his word and to his justice. He's not obligated to come and rescue you every time you call out when you're not, conf- when you're not confessing in here. And that's why I say, brothers and sisters, is your experience with the Lord. I hope you've got an experience. And I hope it's more. Some, I think some people's mere experience with the Lord is the only time they experience the Lord is I love to come into the church. And boy, when they start singing, oh, I get that little sentimental feeling in my heart. It takes me back to the time and the place. Well, that's all well and good. And I'm glad you can shout and I'm glad you can shed tears thinking back 25 years ago, 45 years ago, 5 years ago when you got saved. That's well and good. What about now? You know, Missy and I can do that too. We can talk about the good times when the kids were little. We were doing that a little bit yesterday, driving up, we dropped Tyler off. You know, we can sit there and get ourselves all whipped up and the tears will start flowing. Oh, it was so great. They were all around the table. Oh, it was wonderful. But what about now? Me and her can do the same thing. We could go back to 1993. Oh, remember when we got Missy, when married Missy? We were so much in love. We were something. What about now? And brothers and sisters, even though there's no such, we're not perfect even in serving Christ. Our marriage is a long way from perfect. But I think she'll tell you the same thing. When we get a few minutes to be alone, even if it's in a car, we're just as happy today in 2022 as we were in 1993. Because that relationship is real. It's meaningful. And brothers and sisters, it's not dependent on anything else because we love each other. And I can tell you what, I was saved a long time ago when I was 10 years old. But I don't think back about 10 when I was 10 years old very much at all because I enjoy the Lord too much right now. I'm enjoying the relationship I've got with Him right now. Amen. And you should be too. Again, from my great aunts in Kentucky to people I've known in this church, we can get everybody all stirred up. Oh, let's remember the coal stove. Let's remember the tears on the altar. Let's remember this. Oh, we'll tell you the time. Tell you the place. Oh, fooey, what about now? Again, I'm not trying to be mean or harsh. <coughs> That's just the way it is. Think about, think about a visitor coming into our church. They're gonna, you know what? They're going to think, wow, those people really loved it back in the 60s and 70s. They think back on when they were saved and all that. What's that doing for them? Said, so, boy, I wish I'd have been part of that church back in the 60s and 70s. What about now? What are we offering now? You see. That's why it's so important, brothers and sisters. That's why it's very important. You've got to settle the lordship issue. Jesus might be prominent in your life, but is he preeminent? Is he preeminent? Let's see what time it is. Oh, nine minutes. Guys, I might beat your watch. Maybe. Maybe. All things, brothers and sisters, were created through Him, for Him, by Him. All things are under Him. And you know what that means? That there is no part of your life that is not subject to His Lordship. You need to understand that. We try to separate, we try to do like a lot of other religions do. We try to separate the sacred and the secular. If you're a child of God, it's all sacred. It's all His. Because you're His. You see. 
And whether you live or die, it's unto the Lord. Every accomplishment you get, whatever business you're in, whatever relationship you're in, your health, every what sex you have or sex you don't have, it's all got to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. There's no separating it. He's Lord of all. I don't know about you, but the last time I looked up the definition of all, that meant everything. It didn't mean, well, Lord, He can be Lord of pretty much everything, but when I'm over here, nah, I don't really, that's that's my game. That's, that's That's my time. No, it isn't. I, that's another thing. I always hate when I hear people say, that's my time. That's my money. No, it's not. If you're God's, it's all His. It's not yours. You're not even your own. You're His. You were bought with a price. Here's why God has got to... Here's, what, here's why. This seems like common sense, but we miss it so much. Here is why God needs to be Lord in every part of your life. I've already said it a couple times before. Some people say, well, in my business and what I do at work or how I spend and save my money, that's up to me. So I'm the boss there. Lord, you can just stay out of it. Well, you know what happens a lot of times when that business starts to go south? When the economy starts to go bad? When the job might be on the line? Who do you try to who do you start crying out to? You start calling out to the Lord. But brothers and sisters, if you haven't been confessing them, don't expect much. When that, when that, oh, but in my, in my marriage, that's just me and my wife. I don't want the Lord in that. Well, there's things we do and things we say. I don't want the Lord in part, in part of that. Well, brothers and sisters, when that relationship goes bad, who are you going to cry out to? With the kids, with the wife, whatever. When you go to the doctor and you get that report that says it's not looking good, you might only have a few months to live, who are you going to cry out to? And brothers and sisters, here's the other point of that. I've thought about this. So, yeah, I used to, I still run three or four mornings a week. Not with my dogs anymore, unfortunately. They're gone. But I still think about them every time I run. But beyond that, I think about a lot of things. You've heard me say this before, but <coughs> I've, I've tried every time. I'll get back to the running part in a minute. Every month. When I sit down and pay my bills, there's never a time I don't bow my head and say, thank you, God, that I can pay these bills. Because I know if it wasn't for Him, I wouldn't be able to do it. When I'm out running, sometimes in the morning, sometimes I'm feeling really bad. But sometimes I'm feeling pretty good. And as I come around the corner the other day, I look up and I saw the big dipper and the little dipper. And I'm like, thank you, God, for giving me the health and the strength and the ability to be able to be out here to do this. But you know what, brothers and sisters? That's because I made that part of it. He's he's all over that too. Over my running, over whatever I do. But here's something else, brothers and sisters. This was the thought that hit me Friday or Thursday when I was running. Even if... And I will be going back to the doctor again in December. I hadn't been for years until this last December. Missy makes me go every year now, doggone it. But anyway, I'll be going back in December. But even if they give me a report, even if they give me a report that says, Tony, 
You're not going to make it past another month. I'll hate it because I love life. I want to live forever. But you know what? Just as when Christ was with me when I rounded that corner and saw those stars, when I get that bad news, praise God, He'll be with me right there too. And even if I don't live, whether I live or whether I die, it is unto the Lord. Is He your Lord in every part of your life? That's the question, folks. That's what you got to ask. Because when things go south, you're going to call on Him. And if you haven't been confessing Him, there's a good chance He's going to say no. Doesn't mean He'll deliver you from every sickness, but He'll be there with you. Always think about old Stephen. He didn't get delivered from that stoning. But you know what? He was victorious in that stoning because Christ was right there with him. He saw Jesus. When the, old, when the Hebrew children were thrown into the lion's den and the old king came over and looked in, he said, didn't we throw three men in there? He says, but I see four and one of them looks like the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, they were there. They were in torment. But you know what? God was right there with them. Yes, they got a physical deliverance. But even if like Stephen, they had died in that fire, they still would have died rejoicing that Jesus Christ is their Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, that's why you've heard me say over the years, either way, we win. We cannot lose. So again, brothers and sisters, why do we do this? It's to glorify the Father. Because just like somebody mentioned earlier, there's a day coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? And it's all to the glory of the Father. You see, brothers and sisters, when we as God's children, when we begin to live and bring Jesus as Lord in every part of our life, that makes God the Father happy. It brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're to do. We're to glorify Jesus Christ, not ourselves. Not our own hopes and desires. We are to glorify Him, you see. And when we don't do that, we do this thing. So here's what you need to do. All your your hopes, dreams, and desires, you need to bring them and throw them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, You saved me. You forgave me. You delivered me. You from sin. You've given me a home in heaven. Lord, I am yours. And God, I'm surrendering everything I have to you because you are my Lord. And you know what, brothers and sisters? That's not a one time surrender. You know how often you need to do that? Daily. Sometimes it's multiple times a day. Why do you think the Bible says that's why we take up our cross daily and follow Christ? We die out to self. And we follow Him. Now again, before I close, guys, are you almost ready? Before we close. That does, here's what, please, this doesn't mean you become a religious nut. This doesn't mean you become a fanatical. This doesn't mean you start letting your hair grow out and wearing robes or, you know, PhD hairdos or all that other stuff. Talk, Sorry if I'm offending anybody. Doesn't mean any of that stuff. Because people in the world want nothing to do with weirdos like that. What people want is somebody they can see who's got something a little different, who's got a hope in them, who's making decisions not based on what they want to do, not based on what their friends want to do, not based on what other people think they should do, but based on something bigger than them. And that something bigger should be the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So I'll ask you again. As we have one verse of a song, I want you to stand. And actually, let's just do this. We're not, I'm not going to give you an, an altar call. And this is not about salvation. But if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, let's just come forward and stand on the altar. And we'll be dismissed at that point. If He's Lord of your life, come up here. Or if your desire is for Him to be Lord of your life, come up here and do that. But then you've got to start doing it, brothers and sisters. You can, you can, let's make that confession by coming forward. And then let's go out and live it. Don't just say, yeah, he's my Lord. Live it and let him be your Lord. Well, we have one verse, let's go on. thing I miss about being up here from not so much from a preaching standpoint. I miss seeing all of you from this vantage. I love you all. I pray for you often. And I just want to keep praying for Brother Bobby. He's doing a remarkable job. And I know his heart is with the Lord. I know he's doing his best for the church. But brothers and sisters, it's not all on him. We have got to go and live and make Jesus Lord of every part of our life. And that will make his job and that will make what we're able to do as a church so much easier. And it'll make life so much better for you.